Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. I hit record, and it's magic. We get to do this thing. We get to have a fun conversation. I am so excited to introduce you to who I get to talk to today. Um, the introduction goes beyond a page on Google Doc, but so I had to like summarize it somehow and refine it. Speaker, author, his book, Start Ugly. And we're going to talk about that first off the bat uh, because I think a lot of us need to start and uh, we're, we're struggling. So creator of the PodFest, trainer, business leader, motivator, filmmaker, producer. Um, he is in the Library of Congress. All these things are, <laughs> are afoot today. Um, Chief Creative Officer of PodFest Multimedia Expo, Chris Kremitzos. Welcome to the show, sir. Casey, thanks for having me. Man, there's so many things you're doing. You're a busy guy. I try and keep busy. Otherwise, I get in trouble. Uh, no, I'm with you on that one. Um, so this, this show today, I mean, we've, we've got you. Your book is so popular. Everyone I'm talking to is talking about it. EO circles, marketing circles. So it's an honor. And there's so many things going on. So we're going to talk about getting started. We're going to talk about your conference and how you make it intimate and have that cool feel um, and how we could potentially do that virtually. So let me do this. Let me pass you this thing. It's heavy though. One second. Okay, here you go. You got it? <laughs> I got Thor's it. Hammer. One hand, you it. backhanded that thing. Oh, wow. Jeez. So take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. This drives you crazy. Set the record straight once and for all. In business, everybody's waiting for a perfect start. There's no such thing. So therefore, I say start ugly and perfectly execute after you start. So um, don't wait on perfection. doesn't exist. And then the other myth is uh, it's whoa, not social whoa. distancing. It's physical distancing. Oh, okay. Okay. You're just going to smash like nine things. Okay. You're, it's, like, it's like the movie. You're literally taking the hammer and you're smashing all the G.I. Joe bad guys and you're smashing over here and every wave of your – okay. Let's start at the beginning. No such thing as perfection. And I know you built a whole book on this thing. Did it, was it driving you crazy? Was this something you were struggling with? Like, why go through the trouble? Because I did a book. It's a pain in the ass. Like, why, why did you go through the trouble? This, I mean, what, what's the deal with this? Was, I was looking to create a book about future technologies, and it was going to be called Future Proof Your Business. But we realized the moment I had a co-author, the moment we wrote about future technologies, the book would be outdated the moment we published. <laughs> so true. So then I was like, okay, I don't really have any ideas of how to uh, teach people that they need to innovate at the speed of thought um, because I think it's really important. And a friend of mine had this little allegory story about someone that basically was the best uh, lumberjack and he had all these lumberjacks and they had the sharpest axes. But no matter how good he was, he was replaced by the guy that created the chainsaw. Right. So I took that, I expanded into a, like a full-on story, fictional account for people to understand there's no such. So you have two different kinds of people. Okay. You have people that just fail to start. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they just need a kick in the ass. But then you have successful business owners that plateau and are um, prisoners of their own success. And they actually need to start ugly as well. And what's happened to them is they've tasted a bit of success and now they don't want to um, move outside of that comfort window. And that's a normal human behavior that happens to everybody. 
Yeah. I mean, right. It happens to everyone. I mean, for sure, business owners, like you create something. I felt that you create something, you're like, oh, it's kind of comfy. But then it's like, ooh, do I want to get cold leaving the cave again to go get another woolly mammoth and drag that back into the cave? Like that sounds scary, but we can all relate to that. It, it, it's like fear maybe. I don't know. It, at the end of the day, I, yeah. you know, I had a lot of friends talk about this, but if you're success achievement orientated, you call the fear uh, perfectionism usually. Um, if you're someone that just is afraid of the unknown, you just say, I don't know what's out there. So your fear of it's all at the end of the day, it's the same emotion fear, but, uh, achievement oriented people talk about, uh, it's just not perfect yet. So they have different things. And then people that are, haven't gotten anything started usually procrastinate. So they just delay the inevitable, but the core, uh, emotion is fear period. Pretty sure I've done both of those probably within the same day. Um, uh, <laughs> But like the, the, um, the achievement oriented people, which sometimes I feel like I am perfection, right? I'm like that with writing blog posts, right? Or writing in general, which is why a book was hard. And I had to like speak it is because I know I can write a really good sentence. I like writing, but like, and then you got to make sure everything is so good. And then what if no one reads it and I'll grind to a halt with the, with the writing wanting to get it it perfect. It's tough. You just got to, most people don't know the best way. Um, a friend of mine says, learn the way you learn. So a lot of people don't even know how they learn. So I'm a visual learner. Sounds like you are too. So a visual learner tends to do better speaking things out because you're visualizing in your brain what you're talking about. So you got to learn the way you learn best. And if you know that modality, you have a leg up on how to create. And a lot of people get confused on kind of what the best thing for me, I'm visual. So I talk things out and I'm able to talk out what I see in my head. Not the best writer, but um, if I could visualize something, I could definitely write it down. How how did you figure that out? And like, is there just two different things or visual versus like reading it or what? Like my wife is a writer. She enjoys writing. So writers naturally are people at journal all the time. So if someone's like, oh, I've had a journal since I was in high school. That person is a writer. They love (laughs) writing thoughts down. Someone like me be like journal every day since that just doesn't even exist in my world. Sounds right. like a great idea. Sounds like something I need to do. Yeah. But that's just not the way I process. I process visually and then I talk it out. So right. I just learned as a young kid, I used to go for walks and I would, it looked like I was insane because I would talk out out loud to myself while I'm walking and I would visualize. So I just knew early on, that's how I process information. So that's how I wrote the book. I visualize all the characters. I visualize what they would say, what they would do. And then right. it took me two hours to write the actual book. But the visual took a process of weeks. Uh, I was going to say two hours. Damn. Well, I had, I, listen, I had 20 drafts, like 20, 25 drafts. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like that Sylvester Stallone story when he wrote Rocky. Yes, right. he wrote it in a day, but then it took like 50 drafts to get it to where it is. Yeah. It just and takes, then like it no one would take it. Yeah. No one, no took one would take it. And he, he insisted he had to be the lead. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was, it was pretty epic. Right. He, he had to make sure he was playing Rocky. Um, and I'm glad he did. We all are, yeah. Right. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. So, okay. So figuring out, I mean, you're just full of these nuggets, right? So figuring out the way you learn is, is critical. By the way, I have a journal. I'm even looking at it. I write in it periodically. I'm good at starting uh, it. I'm, I start a lot of journals, um, you know, like the, the best self journal, all those things. i I've started those, <laughs> but uh, not, not so regular. So in figuring out what's your, your way of learning and then what, once you know how to, how you learn, you just seek that you, out. You, well, you, I'll give you the, I could give you like an example so we could yeah. like understand how that plays out. So my wife um, is a writer. She loves writing. Right. 
she does a meditation podcast, but the core of that podcast is her spending hours writing down what she's about to put down on mic. Because she's such a strong writer, it, it lends well to that gift of creating those guided meditations that she creates. For me, I'm an I'm a narrator. I like telling stories, so I'm better maybe on video or uh, through audio podcasts. I could still write, doesn't mean, I, but it's not my strong suit. Yes. So when you know your strong suit, it helps you kind of. I know now instead of sitting there, maybe I'll walk around for a couple of miles and visualize what I need, and then I could write it down. It'll help me get it down quicker. I totally get that. Um, because and I mentioned earlier when it came to actually writing my book. Uh, I was probably at a standstill until eventually I worked with a group where I was just talking the book out and just presenting it and having fun, full energy. I had to plan it in advance, but it was planning notes to be able to talk to the story and tell the story as opposed to writing it down perfectly type thing. Famous case study, Gary Vaynerchuk's never written a book, even though it's all his words, his thoughts. He has writers that take what he thinks and what he says and they put the book down, but it's authentically him. It just, he's not the guy that's going to sit there and write a book. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, can you imagine him being no, there? No, he can't. His audiobooks are great because he just riffs off and there's all this yeah. extra bonus content. That's his medium. Is So everybody just, ha and he knows he's not a writer, but he's someone that creates tons. He just needs someone to capture his essence in the written form. So right. learn the way you learn. If you learn the way you learn, you have a leg up in life. And I think if anyone's a parent, tell your kids. My friend, I credit my friend June Han with this. He, said, he told his kids, learn the way you learn. If you know how you learn, you'll, you'll have a leg up in life. Huh. Huh. You know, uh, with Gary V, I, I've caught some of his, um, it's kind of a funny, I've caught some of his presentations where he has a bunch of people pitching him something and he gives them advice. I swear one of the ones recently though, he's given them advice and they're like, yeah, they're trying to defend themselves from it. And then everyone's like, what are you doing? Gary V is telling you what you should probably look at. And they're like, no, it's not that way, Gary. You don't understand our pitch. <laughs> ego, ego is uh, something. Seriously. So, okay, let's go back to the, um, so we've got to learn the way we learn and we're going back to, you know, it's interesting. You brought up how the fear, depending on which mode you're in, it's either your success mode and it's perfection, or if you are just, um, procrastinating or it's that fear of the unknown. What was the other one? Yeah, it was basically procrastination. Yeah. The people that are, let's say when I say achievement oriented, people that consider themselves achievement oriented, they tend to say, they use perfection as the excuse. People have not achieved it yet, procrastination, or I'm not ready yet. But at the end of the day, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's fear nonetheless. It's just um, the ego has to label it differently to help the person uh, kind of uh, give themselves the excuse of why they're not doing what they're doing. I feel like I'm talking to like a Buddhist monk. You have all these like different- uh, different I do a lot of thinking. It's either that or you're the guy actually writing the fortune cookies. Like I finally met you after all these years. It's like you. I come up with the lucky numbers as well. Right. Oh, the numbers too. <laughs> I can't imagine how you come up with those things. Um, okay. So, so the, the whole concept was then you were trying to get people, the book just came out and then you started writing about lumberjacks. Is that just what happened? You just started kind of like to the, what the book is talking about. You just got, well, I, I said, you know, we're about to toss this beautiful book and we had this little two-page story and i'm like you know i think i could write a book and flesh out the characters and basically in eo i meet a lot of people and one yeah. of the things that kind of spurned the book is i was sharing with the group how i was looking to fly private jet travel it's one of my goals where you could lease these fractional jets and i basically said hey i figured the prices are coming down my income's going up i'll meet it somewhere in the middle 
And I remember um, the individuals in the group, very successful people. They're like, oh, that'll be the day, the private jet. And it was one of those thoughts. I'm sitting there and I'm like, here's these really successful people and they're even limiting their success. So like achievement oriented people, just because they have some semblance of success, they're, they're, they're capped because they're, they're kind of happy where they're at. And that's the start ugly philosophy is like, Hey man, keep re-engineering, keep starting ugly, but it doesn't have to be business. It could be anything. Uh, I I have a case study of my brother-in-law. We were talking and he's like, yeah, I want to pick up a hobby. I want to brew beer. And I'm like, and I basically gave him a story of how people waste more time than actually doing the thing. And he kind of said to me, huh? I go, what's the, huh? He goes, I've been thinking about brewing beer for eight years. So I said to him, um, and he's in his thirties. I said to him, how much does it cost to brew beer? He goes, Oh, the setup's like a hundred and something bucks. I go, I'll yeah. buy it for your birthday. Like he goes, no, no, I got money. So he just wasted all this time thinking about something where he could have done it. Now I'm happy to report he brew, he's brewing beer now. Nice. Uh, it doesn't taste good, but he's still doing it. <laughs> but now, but guess what? He started ugly. Now he'll perfect. Yeah. Eight years he waited. Eight freaking years. So then I started thinking about things I wanted to do. And I'm judging him about eight years. And I was thinking about stuff for three, four years. I'm like, how many of us think about things and we never do it? I'd rather you do something not like what you're doing then spending and investing time thinking about it, you'll wind up having a much uh, fulfilled life because you figure out what you don't like and what you do like. And that's most people don't even know what they like or they don't like. Think about that. They go through life. I see so many business owners, they wind up in some business and they get stuck there and they're like, yeah, I guess what I I have to do for the next 20 years. Why? Or I have friends, all they do is accumulate wealth. Why? After a while, like what's the point? And and I'm the entrepreneur that likes the Elon Musk type guy. Like, hey, let's do the moonshot. Let's go to the Mars. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, I, well, a lot of people think, oh, he's crazy or he's thinking of crazy. It's awesome. Awesome crazy. That's, that's the person that speaks to my soul. The guy that's like, okay, yeah. I have a small amount of time on this earth. How can I, you know, the Steve Jobs, how can I throw a dent into it and yeah. see what we can do? And that's kind of my my vantage point. When he, um, re- just recently, I mean, this is just recent where, um, you know, he, they, they did the crew dragon where they, they had the people. Did you watch that? Did you see that happen? I watched it on YouTube. I didn't watch it live. I watched, you remember they, they were going to launch it. I was watching live and then it got delayed. Delayed so Saturday. Saturday. I saw yeah. it after I was watching. I yeah. saw him get choked up. Yeah. 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 I mean, we saw the launch and I mean, you, you got your fingers crossed and you're just like, Oh God, just be a normal rocket launch. And then, but yeah, I mean, Falcon, they've launched so many of them by that point. It was a normal rocket launch. And then they get to the space station and you're just waiting and they float through. Um, one of the guys bumps his head, but like, <laughs> like it was awesome. It, and, and I remember thinking like, huh, he's really going for it. Like he's really doing something. Of course he has PayPal money, but like, he's really to your point, leaving a dent. And like, I respect that. That's, it, ma- it makes you think about your own stuff where you're like, what, where are my dents? What are the different impacts I'm going to make? And how can I really make a difference on things that matter? Yeah. And I think all of us, I hope most of us ha- feel like we're making a difference. I was just yeah. telling a group of friends of mine, with the, the shutdown and the pandemic, little did we know how important the person that cuts our hair is. Oh my uh, gosh, dude. So like that I need a haircut so bad. So do I. <laughs> I haven't gotten one. But that person is really important because they, they create value in people's self-esteem. So a job, many people be like, oh, what a low-paying job or what is that, is a huge uh, important factor for people's uh, self-care and self-being. So everything has value and everything's important. I would just tell the people that get stuck somewhere and they don't question what they want and they might be rudderless. You really have to intentionally think what you want in life and how to create it. Cause before you know it, it's over. 
I mean, this is so true, right? I mean, so many people are out, out there working. You know, we have a lot of marketers listening to this show, right? You're, you're in some job working for a company. Maybe you hate the, the customer or the client or the product. You're like, this product's stupid. Well, leave. Do something that you enjoy. Go find that passion. Um, how do you though? Like, how do you, I mean, it's easier said than done, Casey. How do you go like find what you want or figure out what's the dialogue like to figure out what you do want? So in my late twenties, I was pursuing wealth. So I want to make millions. So I would pursue money and I had hit, you know, a million dollars revenue, not necessarily income, but, um, I wasn't fulfilled. So I took, I sold, I had some real estate. I sold what I had the market meltdown happened. So I was in this really unique position where I had money and time. Wow. And I spent six months asking myself what you just said. I asked myself, um, what do you want to accomplish with your life? You have a very small amount of time and what would make you happy? So I call that period of my life uh, standing in the silence. I stood in the silence of my own questions. And for six months, I'd go for walks by myself, asking myself, what do you want out of your life? How do you want to lead it? Uh, so I came up with something that pretty much everybody comes up with, which is I want to help other people. It seems to yeah. be a very common theme. Then the question was, okay, what avenues and what skill sets do I have that I could utilize that? And I realized I had this really strong suit for connecting people and being a matchmaker, whether it's business or even personal. I connect my best friend with his spouse right now. So I've connected a lot of couples. So that was um, one of my uh, key core strengths. And then the other thing is I love business. So I was like, okay, I'm really good at business. I understand it. I could connect people through that avenue. And I created a community. So he, Casey, this was the crazy part about this. I'm 29. I was producing two local TV shows. I really enjoyed doing local TV shows here in Tampa. One was about business called Millionaire Mindset. The other one was Bleep and Truth, which was a political debate show. Both of them were a lot of fun. Wow. But, I, but I said to myself, okay, the political stuff, you're never going to win. Everybody hates each other. Yeah. Polar opposites. I enjoyed the debate, though. You learn a lot from how people sure. think and why they're – But I was like, you know what? I, I got migraines when I'm done with that show, even though it's very yeah. popular. People love it. I said the millionaire might say I'd get a lot of thank yous from people because it was improving their – looking at how business or what they could do with their life. So I – um I said, okay, I'm going to send an email out to my uh, audience. I had 300 opt-ins at the time. And I'm going to see if I could create this. So I visualized 100 people in a room staring back at me, and I'm up, up on stage. Three months later, I was in a hotel room with 100 people staring back at me at stage, and I froze because I had realized I had just visualized this on at sunset. And three months later, it's standing. You know, six months, I was doing the thinking and processing. At the end of that six months, three months later, I had um, a living, breathing group. And then a few months later, I featured this young kid that I really admired because he was doing a lot of cool things on YouTube. Uh, it was 08, I think, 08, 09. His okay. name was Gary Vaynerchuk, and he was talking about wine. No kidding, right? Yes. Uh, and then I featured all these people that most people don't even – uh, they kind of know now, but they were huge. Gary Vee was coming up and I was like, I like this guy. He's going to be huge. And all these internet marketers came through my crew. We used to do a marketing cruise for five straight years. So I wound up meeting all these amazing fun. people. Marketing cruise. Hell yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. So it, it was um, not a lot of money, but it was a lot of fun. It, <laughs> right. it, it was, um, so it was an amazing thing. So I, you have to ask intentionally yourself, what do you want out of your life? So I have friends right now that have tons of money and they're accumulating tons of things, but what's the point? So I, I for whatever reason at the end, of, so I always understood the millennial mindset of experience over this. I kind of understood it. Um, it's, you know, what do you want out of life? If you don't, 
if you don't get what you think you want out of life, then what kind of life did you lead? Do, do I want to be an accumulator of possessions? I don't wear right. watches. I don't like, you know, not that it's, it's just, I don't need anything for material. I want to have experiences yeah. with my friends and family and improve other people's lives. So that's kind of how I live my life. And that's why I, I promote events and I have communities that I built and um, those are very hard to do, but they're very rewarding. Right. Right. Man, man, what's the point, right? The experience matters and just kind of just hustling and going through that. I could, I can picture you as you're describing it. You're like visualizing something and it's almost like a movie where you're fast forward. You're like, shit, I'm actually in front of them right now. Like time, time goes by quick too. Suddenly now you're in the room in front of the hundred people. You're like, damn, I just, I was just like a moment ago thinking that this would be cool. And there you're, did you unfreeze at some point? Uh, no, no, I'm yeah. like, in, oh, in yeah. presentation. You, you eventually start talking. I did. And I never did that again. And it was yeah, one yeah. of those surreal moments. They asked Billy Joel once, I think Howard Stern asked him, did you ever think to yourself, like I'm Billy Joel, I'm in front of a hundred thousand people. He said he did. And it made for a crappy show. Cause you really have to, um, do that on the, on the side, not on during the side, performance, right? <laughs> not oh. during when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, man, he sucked tonight. That's cause he's having this existential. I had, I, had some, I had some friends tell me it was really humble that you did that, but don't do that again. <laughs> Oh, because you told everyone what you were doing? No, I mean, I literally froze. Imagine someone freezing for like 30 seconds staring back at a crowd. <laughs> and and you, I wasn't nervous. I was just like thinking to myself like, holy crap, look at this. You you just don't do that. It's very awkward for the crowd. It's awkward for people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I was there, I'd be like, okay, everybody, uh, raffle tickets on sale. Let's do this. Okay, now back to you, Chris. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> the other thing I used to do, I had no awareness of yeah. uh, being a leader in front of the room. And my friend used to do the audio visual part. His name is Anthony. So I used to yell at him in front of the crowd. Anthony, you son of a bitch. <laughs> we used to have, we were friends, but it's like, they were, you know, you gotta listen to the feedback. This is me starting ugly. They were like, Hey Chris, if you have anything to say to Anthony, wait till we're all out of the room, then talk to him. <laughs> right. You're like publicly shaming the AV guy. Well, he and I are friends. So it was a different kind of conversation. Different kind of thing. They yeah. don't, if you don't know us, you don't know that. Yeah. If you don't know, they're like, wow, that guy's such a dick to his team, man. Like this, he's so mean. <laughs> like he's not mean. That's his, that's his friend. They're going to yell at each other later on. It's be fun. Um, Tell me about this event because it, it's Podfest, right? I mean, you, it was this was your brainchild. Was this the hundred people? Was the brainchild, or is it since developed? That, that, that yeah, that event developed. That community was a local yeah. community with three hundred business owners. I sold it, and then during uh, growing that community, I I basically created a community for podcasting, nice. and I helped business owners learn about podcasting. And we created a, a Podfest about seven years ago. There's a hundred people in the room. Uh, it was the only event, and this is something to know as a marketer, that sponsors would contact me and ask me to sponsor. And I didn't have to negotiate. Like, they were like, yeah, how much wow. is it? Great. So I learned I was onto something because there's sponsor dollars for this. And I have uh, people and eyeballs. So that event went from 100 to 181. And then we were in Tampa, Florida. And the third year I was supposed to put in St. Pete, Florida. And as people were leaving, the people that flew in, they go, where's St. Pete again? Is that around here? And I was like, oh, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, so a friend of mine said, hey. It's like across the river, right? It's like right yeah, yeah. there. It's literally 30 minutes across yeah. the river, right? So I go, if, if they don't know where it is, that's a big problem. Uh, they're not going to want to go to a city they don't know. They don't know. So, so I, said, uh, I said to a friend of mine, I go, uh, what do you think? He goes, you got to take it to Orlando. And his sister ran a resort there. She was the service manager. And I said to him, I said, his name is Neil. I said, Neil, I can't afford like a million dollar commitment. For people that don't know, 
and, and I know this is a, a lot of people on this are business people, but most people yeah. go to a, an event, they have no clue the expenses. It's overwhelming yeah. the amount of expenses that you have to negotiate. They, you have to pay for everything. I mean, everything. So like what, like power? Water. Yeah, actually, if you want someone to do what's called a power drop to plug in, it's 750 per power drop. So it, like you have to negotiate that you, you're going to have extension cords plugged in for your your registration team. Otherwise, they could charge you up to 750 per uh, thing getting plugged in. So, I mean, yeah, like minutia wow. that you don't even know exists unless you negotiate it off. If so, you forget that and you ask for a later, like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll send you the invoice for 750 this past year, we put floor stickers like on the floor. Hey, the event's this way. Yeah. They came up to me very nice and they go, hey, that's 500 bucks. I go, for what? They go, for, for the floor stickers. I'm like, just to put them on the floor? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a charge for that. So I was like, all Damn. right, whatever. It's a little bit of a racket, man. Whatever. <laughs> but like, it, it, it's part of the business. So um, I said to him, listen, man, I don't have quarter million dollar guarantee, whatever it was at the time. He goes, talk to my sister. And he was part of my business group in Tampa. Yeah. So I, I go over there and his sister hooked me up with the sales lady. Long story short, they gave me the entire resort for $3,500 food and beverage, which is unheard of. I went back scratching my head because the only time I felt bad for a hotel in the negotiation, uh, I've never felt bad for a hotel since. And I, <laughs> I called up my buddy. I said, dude, what the hell did your sister tell the sales lady? She basically was negotiating with herself. She kept lowering the price every time I was thinking. He goes, my sister told her, if you don't make that kid happy, and if I hear a complaint, I will never service any of your events that you sell into this hotel. And his sister was there for like 15 years. I said, why would she do that? He goes, well, when I moved from Orlando to Tampa, you're the one that helped me start my business to feed my family. And my sister believes that we owe you one. And this is us. And they're very proud Venezuelan family. This oh, is wow. us paying you back and helping you get started. And that got me into the convention center type of business, which is a very big, very awesome events. And I got to learn without having to lose my shirt by having people that supported me telling me what yeah. to negotiate up front. Now the, the event, you know, close to 2000 people, we have a full trade show. We have another event called VidFest for YouTubers. So we're, we're, we're business owners and, and um, creatives and independents come to learn kind of not only how to podcast, but how to plug into other podcasters, create joint ventures, alliances, and then talk to global brands, I describe myself as an airport. I'm a hub and I allow brands and people to interact in that hub. And that's what I do for a living. You're an airport, your podcast airport. Basically. It, but like 2000 people, I know we were talking earlier. There's a sense that a lot of people don't even realize it's 2000 people. They're, they're thinking it's just OG 100 again. They, they think it's just a small event. How, how do you, some, is this intentional? You create this like intimacy or some, so how, one do, you, of the how myths, do you make those big events feel local? Yeah. So one of the myths early on was people were like, Chris, we don't want this to grow. And I'm thinking, well, it has to grow for me to make a living. <laughs> yeah. um, but I understand their point was like, Chris, we're so intimate. We know everybody. We like the feel of this. We don't want to lose that. And um, basically we had to break that myth and we had to say, wait a minute, let's create an event where we strategically connect people, create collisions for people to meet. So the more people we have, the smaller it feels. And it took a lot of work. We had to institute what I call the strategic alliance. Right mm. now, I, I think we call it the uh, podcaster meet and greet. Uh, we created all these little resources and tools and micro groups and micro cons for people to connect. So then as the, by the time you're done with our three-day event, you probably will have met 50 to 60 people, have created one to two quality connections. 
and then have a group of people you could build on each and every year uh, throughout the conference. So the biggest problem I have is people will talk about a conference in the hominess of it. And people are like, yeah, I heard it was really good. It's very intimate. How many people do you have? 100, 200? We haven't had that since we began, really. Right. But that's a, that's a compliment. And it's also something I have to market against to right. make sure people realize like, no, no, it's a lot bigger than a small intimate conference. It's a huge conference. It just has a small intimate feel by design and by intention. Right. You, I love the terminology, create collisions, people colliding. And also the one to two quality connections, the people that know realize that, hell yeah, that's all I need. I don't need to collect 90, 900 business cards, business card from everyone who's attending. No, no, there's a certain, you know, quality over quantity kind of thing with those kind of events. Absolutely. And we, we've done, so what we've done is something that I could execute across other platforms. So we're creating VidFest. We've created it, but we're growing into that. And we have a lot of other micro brands. So our unique value proposition is creating an intimate community environment in the convention space. So we could literally take that and rinse and repeat with multiple brands and verticals and categories. We happen to be in the, um, in the space of uh, what I would call new media, but right now it's, I don't think anyone considers podcasts or YouTube new media anymore. It's media. <laughs> it's the media. I tell you what, there's probably some people in fortune 1000 companies that are thinking. It's I hope all not. New. Yeah. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> that, that, that's to their detriment. It but anyways, is. <laughs> um, if they are, it's, I remember uh, our local newspaper, someone was telling me that they were saying internally, the CEO or COO was like, YouTube videos, who's going to watch those? And that was only <laughs> like a few years back and they went bankrupt. They had to go get funded and bailed oh, out for obvious reasons. But it's just, you know, you want to understand that this is the new way of communicating. Right, right. Joe, Joe Rogan just got that $100 million deal. Right. So I think if, if someone says there's no money in it, you point to that, obviously for the 1%, but it's going to trickle down to everybody. But yeah, if people haven't heard, because um, tell people about the, the Joe Rogan deal with Spotify. So Spotify basically uh, paid for Joe Rogan's content to be parked on their player. There is no paywall, but it's basically, um, it's a garden. And to get anything that Joe produces, you got to go inside the spot, Spotify garden. He still, <laughs> from what I understand, keeps JRE Clips, which is his YouTube clip show. So he still has an outlet there and the deal is worth a lot more than the hundred million. I don't know if it's yearly or multiple from what I've heard from internal sources, it starts, it's, it's much more than a hundred million dollars. So Joe took some money off the table, cashed in for people that are not familiar. His show gets, I believe it was 190 million downloads a month across platforms. It's, it's an insane amount of downloads. Spotify stock went up by $5 billion within the 48 hour period which tells you they got them at a discount. So it's, it's a huge, it was a huge value add. And I think it woke up the markets of like, okay, this is, this is a real play. Spotify is getting into streaming video. We're going to see Amazon get in. So there's no better time to be a content creator because all these platforms are now going to compete for these content creators. And the, the, the value is going to increase in many different ways. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that could happen with that. And I'm surprised they haven't gobbled you up yet. Well, Spotify come a knocking, maybe they should. No, an event, an event like mine, uh, I've done a lot of research since getting into this. I love what I do because I'm intentional, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But my local community, what really wasn't worth much because it's worth, it was a local, almost like a local EO chapter, a bit, yeah. but we had 300 members. So that community is worth someone that maybe it's an ego play. They want to stand out as a leader. There's a lot of work, as you know, with these things. Yeah. What I do here, this is a media play. So a CBS, a Viacom. Um, you know, we have 
VidCom, I believe, uh, out of Anaheim. No one knows how much they got bought up, but the guesstimates are nine figures plus. They're worth multiple multiples because, uh, again, it's a garden that's wild. Very few people could create what we've created. Uh, for me, Casey, I've thought about this. I'm not selling anytime soon because I love what I do. When I sold my last company, I went into a funk for a year. Uh, so uh, I, I don't have anything better to do. This is what I was meant to do. So I'm going to ride it till I get bored. Now, if I get bored, I know that it's sellable. That's a good thing to know. But right now, why? Like I've had right. to ask, my, what's the benefit? They can sponsor make, it. They just can't have it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care about the money. So if you don't care about the money, then why would you? I'm happy. It's a good point, especially if it's not your, your primary motivator, like you're saying, you know, you shifted that model. Um, in your mind. Yeah. The, you know, the, the Spotify thing is, is it's interesting. Just the idea we're on a podcast. It's kind of super meta to talk about podcasts on a podcast. I'm sure there's shows dedicated to it, but what's your take on it for, you know, for brands, we have a lot of B2B marketers listening to, I mean, obviously there's a lot more podcasts than there were in the old days, but it's not all Joe Rogan stuff. Like what? No, B2B does really well. B2B yeah. does really well. Um, remember, I've been traveling now for the last seven years, teaching this stuff and seeing case studies. And the B2B people, first off, if you get someone that's like, I don't get it, where's the value here? Uh, that's just someone that hasn't educated themselves on okay. the marketplace and how people communicate. Um, B2B is like, this is one of, the, I've met a guy that did an oil and drilling network for oil and drilling gas. And they basically, what's happened is, Barstool Sports is a great case study. All of these big companies start as like, usually if it's early 04 or 05, they start as newspapers, then websites, and then they siphoned into podcasts. So here's the value. If a B2B wants to advertise on a blog, they can, right? But there's multiple blogs competing and there's an infinite amount of pages that they create. So it's not like a newspaper where, you know, there's only 32 pages of real estate. Right. It's endless. Right. But if a Casey has an audience in a specific yeah. niche and that audience listens to that voice, there's a lot of value there. And there's, uh, we start, we helped a guy, uh, Kevin Jans, a great friend of mine. He started the government contracting officer podcast. Doesn't get more niche than that. <laughs> he gets five, 600 downloads. He's probably way over that now, but even back then he was getting, you know, uh, six figure sponsors a year because he's dealing right. with people that are dealing with multiple multi-million RFPs, helping people win those contracts. Yeah. He no longer takes ad revenue because he makes more money getting all the incoming as a consultant into his business. So he's built wow. an entire thing off of his podcast. Now he was about to quit six months in because he set a six month timeline, but he's like, I enjoy it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And then yeah. all of a sudden somewhere around month seven or eight, everything started to break open for him. Huh? So yeah, even, even the super bizarre niche type thing, I'm, I can relate, right? I, I love conversations and learning from people. So if there's a, to your point, if there's cash or there's a business tie-in, awesome, bonus. Um, but there's more to it. But, but it's, it's uh, so let, let's think about this. And it, yeah. anyone listening, this is really important. Uh, podcasting is on-demand searchable episodic audio. So it's not an interview format, okay? Interview is a format that exists within podcasting. You also have the Q&A format. So I have companies that we'll do a strategy day and we'll create a Q&A format where it's seven of the most commonly asked questions that they get asked. And we put it on demand on in podcasting and it's searchable audio. So now leads come through that one and done thing. You could do hmm. seasonal podcasts. Um, 
there's so many robust ways that you could use podcasting. You could use it as a person trying to get the attention of the largest CEOs in your thing and use it, as you just said, relationship building and not care about the audience uh, to open up doors and relationships for you and your, and your niche. So there's just, um, you know, we have, uh, there was a gentleman that wanted a, to do a leadership podcast. And to me, like I've heard this a hundred times, I want to do a leadership podcast. Like, okay, what, what makes you a leader compared to a Gary Vee or a Tim Ferriss? However, we told him, listen, man, stick with what you know and go niche. And one day he took me out for bagels and out of the blue and, and his name is, is that a thing? You go for bagels. Well, I guess he figures New York and he took me to Einstein, which was very nice, but it's nowhere near New York bagel. But anyways, I, I went to Einstein bagels. It was early in the morning. I could meet him before I head to the office. <clears throat> he goes, you know why I'm taking you out? I go, I have no clue. He goes, you told me stay niche. He was a CEO in the healthcare industry and uh, he's high up there. So yeah. he created the rural health podcast. He wanted to became becoming the top leader in rural healthcare. Do you know how many rural hospitals are in the US? And then he became huge in Australia because most of their hospitals are rural outside oh, of wow. Sydney and Melbourne. And then he was offered a seven figure deal to be in charge of a NGO to represent all rural healthcare fields. So th- these are the things, these are the things that you could, um, you could look at. It's very robust. Those niches are wide open and you know, the opportunity is there right now. Seven years ago, the opportunity was like, my wife started Biz Women Rock. Like she was one of the first three podcasts for business women by business women, which at the time you're like, there's no way this is available. There was nothing there. Now, right. though, now there's hundreds, you know. So in, in, it's like fresh, open, open territory for, for anyone. Um, yeah. You want to see however big that niche is that's open. That's what you go after. Yeah. It makes sense. I was talking to someone and they were selling some really obscure um, data analysis software. It was like, cool, man, go interview data analysts, data scientists, you know, it could be the top data scientist podcast ever or something, you know, it doesn't have to be generic or whatnot. And it's on the naming of the podcast and the keywords. That's really important. What, what's important on the name? It sounds like yeah, there's a masterclass in, in, the, in, the, in the wings here. Well, yeah, yeah, we did. I did a masterclass on it, but it's very important. Like yeah, we had a lady that she was representing uh, people in Medicare. Um, yeah. So she was representing boomers who were taking care of their parents. Uh, and then her company was, it was a weird name. She's a good friend of ours. So she created Medicare Nation. Well, guess what? Medicare is in the name of the, the podcast. You didn't have to think about it. Overnight, she became the number one podcast for anyone looking to learn about Medicare. Wow. Instead of giving all this free advice now, now she charges for everything she used to give away for free. And then she's not held to steering them into any insurance policy because they're paying her for the information. Right. So she became so valuable in the food chain, they're paying her for her time, which is what she used to give away for free. Where is this in the curve right now, do you think? You've been doing it for seven years. This, it, uh, we're only at the beginning because you still beginning. have people arguing with me that they listen to radio, they don't get it. So until you have <laughs> pretty much 90% of the population listening a lot of millennials still you know they'll like think about this spotify's music right yeah why are they going into podcasting so hard the reason is spotify has figured out that podcasts are free so they don't really have to pay for them right so if you put your uh podcast on spotify they're not paying you and now they could put ads against your podcast and make a boatload of money so now they're gonna bring (laughs) rogan and by the way part of the rogan deal is spotify said look we have the we have the 13-year-old to 22-year-old demographic locked up. We're going to target them and bring you a whole new audience. He's like, okay, let's do it. So his audience is only going to grow. So uh, 
that audience now is going to get it. They're older, right? I would consider the YouTube skews younger. That YouTube generation and, and Spotify music listeners are about to become power listeners to uh, podcasts. And you see it with Logan Paul has a podcast now. As that happens, those listeners will be 100% podcast listeners and the the cycle of life will be complete. 10 years from now, the older people that listen to radio will be phased out uh, through just, you know, expiration uh, <laughs> or just age. And then wow. the next generation will be all podcast listeners. Radio will not survive. It will transition into podcasting. And, and, I, and I mean that I've had these debates. There's no, there is no way radio is going to survive maybe for emergency signals during like something. But right now the bandwidth on the AM side is getting sold to T-Mobile and cell phone companies because there's no radio. Uh, so th they're already auctioning off all this unused bandwidth now. Wow. So they can use it for, wait, so if you, would you turn into like AM station and hear like a bunch of like dit, dots and dashes going across the, I, I probably, I mean, um, the iHeart people, because of what I do, I get to talk to the people on the inside. Yeah. Their strategy right cool. now, because for people who don't know, iHeart uh, was recapitalized by Bain Capital, which is Mitt Romney's venture capital firm. Oh, geez. He got Goodness. stuck with $18.5 billion in debt. Not, it, it almost sounds unreal, but $18 billion. The, I think it was the Mays family that created Clear Channel. They, they cashed out at the top. They got like four or five billion for the family through the debt to the Bain Capital Group. So all of a sudden they got all this uh, debt and they tried a really bad model, didn't see podcasting coming. So while NPR and everybody's transitioning, they're trying to like double down on radio. I don't know what the heck they were thinking. Now they understand what the model is. So what they're doing now is let's say they like you, Casey. Um, they'll take your show, say, Casey, we'd like to sign you. We're going to take your show. They throw it up on the radio airwaves. They quadruple the audience. And now they, it's still a podcast because they know over time, they're not going to have that um, strategic advantage with radio. So they're taking radio, siphoning off the listeners into podcasts. So that way they have uh, a life cycle after the radio is done. Wow. Jeez. This is exciting, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Neat. Cause you never know. Cause sometimes you think like, Oh, a million people are talking about podcasts and getting into it, but it sounds like it still is maybe just in my bubble in my circles. I'm hearing a lot more podcast conversation, but it's not the, not everyone. We got at least a five year curve. You remember people don't, uh, people don't, um, don't accept technology advances as fast as maybe you or I do. Sure. Like I always know I'm way ahead of the curve. I had to learn that early on cause I'd okay. get killed because I, I was on Ustream back in the day, but no one was really on there until later right. on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got to know that uh, by the time the general public catches on, it's years later. So I think we got another four or five year run to the peak. Interesting. Right, right. And then everyone's on it. And then radio is just a bunch of podcasts. Basically, yeah. WSMN AM 1590. This is the hardcore marketing show. Like and NPR proved the model, man. NPR is, is a podcasting powerhouse. They took their... Early on, NPR had like 140, I forgot how many, but like 110 shows, podcasts. None of them got any tractions. A guy from, I forgot where he came from. He came in and he said, guys, let's just take our seven best or five best. They got rid of all of them, took the five best, made them into huge powerhouses, and then they used them to spin off one at a time. And then they would just siphon the equity from those five podcasts into the new ones. And all of a sudden, they're back to whatever they have now, 50 or 80 like Planet Money. I mean, some of the largest shows in the oh, world. Oh, yeah. This American Life. Yeah, I love all those shows. The, the super highly produced ones. Um, 
and then they bought Gimlet Media as well. Spotify's on a roll. Spotify bought Gimlet Media. Yeah, NPR is NPR. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in, in speaking of, and you brought this up, there's different styles. And um, the interview versus the, the live interviews, you're like, it's not the same. There's different styles. Um, do you have a favorite style? Do you see, are there certain ones that fit certain, or do you just kind of pick? I, I, I like the journalistic narrative styles, but like yeah. for interview shows, I will listen to Rogan for one very unique reason. There's no other show that features the people that get featured on Joe Rogan. True. From crazy comedians. But then the next day he was talking to like a guy that studied the American West and he's talking about the Navajo Indians. <laughs> like, where are you going to get that? You're just not going to see that kind of variety. So, um, with Rogan, you never know what's going to get served up, and yeah. it's it's uh, unique. But as far as uh, when I'm listening, I like people that do narrative journalism, take you down a story. Um, you know, so think about format. Format is what? Uh, let's say someone that's listening to this wants to create a podcast. Yeah. Okay, so you, you go into the marketplace, and you're like, wow, that's a crowded space I want to go after. Well, if you listen to all of those shows – you might find a format that is open. So it might be like, hey, a five-minute format of like a quick tip might be open for your niche. Right. Um, I'll give you an example. Meditation is one of the largest uh, listening niches in podcasting, guided meditation. Really? So my wife was doing Biz Women Rock, and she said, I want to make a transition. She got tired after doing it for five years. She goes, I'd like to, I think I'd like to do a guided meditation. Now, my wife doesn't have any certifications. She just likes guided meditations. And because she was doing her podcast, she thought she would be really good at it, which she's amazing. So I said, she goes, can you study the marketplace? Like, absolutely. So then I do my analysis and we come up to two of us come up with a couple of things. One, most of the meditation shows were not really well produced from the audio sound quality. And in that niche, audio sound quality is paramount because people are trying to get into a guided meditation. So when oh, you for the meditation? Oh, yeah. You can't have fuzzy shit right. in the background. Well, yeah. a lot of these people are, you know, meditation experts, not audio experts. So we knew we had a leg up there. But the other thing is uh, most of the meditations did not state the intention of the meditation. They would just start the guided meditation. So all my wife did was like, hey, on this episode, here's the intention of what I'm trying to do. And it could be like, I think you're really an amazing, powerful soul. And we're going to go into that. And then she starts the guided meditation. I know it sounds weird, but that little format tweak and, and her show is called Women's Meditation Network. It only deals with women, literally made her an industry leader. So we started with huh. uh, three, 4,000 downloads a month. This is about two years ago. She just hit 122,000 downloads last month. And wow. we're going to hit probably 300,000 by the end of the year. We also have a marketing plan. We're also doing Spotify ads. We're, we're on the cutting edge of all this stuff uh, because we study our craft. So we have all these different avenues that we're using and it's going to grow very quickly. Uh, and her wheelhouse for her social media is Instagram because we know that's where the audience is. And it's yeah. the millennial females is who she really caters to. Wow. Yeah, knowing your audience. I mean, it's funny. Is, is complicated or different as the tactics get? goes back to knowing your audience and just doing a little little prep a little planning well and also like getting rid of like the the thinking like we had a consultant a good friend of ours who we love dearly and he's like anyone that's a podcaster i think is just a broke person right and he said it like like matter of fact like what evidence do you have of that fortune 500 consultant and i'm like how are you even a consultant like and saying that mm -hmm. yeah well five six years ago that's true there wasn't any money in podcasting but if you saw the future it was going to be ginormous, but here's mm -hmm. a man that only sees what's in front of him. And a lot of people 
that are set in their ways, that's what they see. They don't have the vision to see what the future holds. So it's just interesting to hear people. And, and uh, uh, one of the funny, this is, you'll enjoy this. This is my um, understanding what people are really saying. So mm. when I used to teach podcasting, uh, I would go around like the Pied Piper. I tell people, what is a podcast? What does that word mean? Early on, no one even knew what the word meant. So uh, people would always say this. They would ask me this question. They would say, what if someone listens to my podcast? And, you know, the first time I heard it, you kind of chuckle because you're like, excuse me? That's the whole point, right? <laughs> That's the point, yeah. But I got asked that question like four or five times. So I saw this pattern. And what the human beings were asking me is what if someone judges what uh, I'm putting out? It yeah. was fear of yeah, being yeah. judged. Totally. So now, now I understand how to answer it. But like after, it caught me off guard the first time. I had to think about like, where's that coming from? It's afraid of the unknown of rejection. If, rejection, right. Podcaster. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or well, your point is so off base. How could you think yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, half the battle is getting people to listen in the first place. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I said. I said, you're lucky if you get someone to, to even comment back. So if you could do that, you're doing something right. Right, right. <laughs> And you know, it's funny looking at stats, whatever they are. And I remember the other day it was like 14 on a, on a, on a light day. But I was like, you know what? That's 14 people who were like, yo, let me tune into this thing, you know, or, or you know, you get the, the big days in this, but it's like, it's, it's different. It, it's different than your, and the stat. I mean, talking to me about the stats too. When you talk about looking at, I mean, how many people that, that gov one only had what hundred and something uh, listen, I'm a podcast purist. I still have shows that do like six downloads a month or something yeah. that I have from back. In, I don't care for me. I get excited that six people still listening. Yeah. Something I created years ago. So I don't, I'm, uh, I'm the, the, now I will tell you if someone's like, how do I know I'm doing good? You want to see that number go up. You know, right? Yeah. So if you're making for an audience, make sure it's out there. If you make it for art and you don't care about the audience and it's all about what you want to put out there, fine. But if you want to know if you're doing good, you kind of want to see your downloads increasing over time increasing over time. Hmm. Um, and what are the different ways you, I mean, you, you teach people about how to, I mean, you mentioned like Spotify ads and do people, or should you just grow organically? You know? I mean, it's like a business person. How fast do you want to grow? I mean, I have yeah. no problem putting money on it. If you have money, it's, if the name of the game is I want to grow fast, then you could do paid ads and grow really quickly. Yeah. Spotify ads actually are good for business owners too. I would look into them. They'll create hmm. your own uh, you give them copy. They have a whole voiceover company that creates your own 30 second ad free of charge. You could target people based on their moods. So I could target people while they're thinking, working out, celebrating holidays. It's the most amazing ad platform I've ever seen. Really? So what we did, right moods, right? Yeah. The way we doubled my wife's um, meditation is she felt very, during the whole coronavirus thing, she felt very convicted. She wanted to help. Mm -hmm. I was getting stressed out. So she saw me getting stressed out. She's like, my husband's getting stressed out. There's a lot of people getting stressed out. And I was worried about a lot of different things. And I'm in the yeah. live event industry. So she created these podcasts. And she said, Chris, I want to get this out to as many people as I can. So she bought the domain coronavirusmeditations.com. And then <laughs> what I did is I targeted people in the big cities. And we gave them this free coronavirus meditation to listen to on Spotify. Literally, that put her numbers through the roof. Wow crazy <laughs> there's so much to it you know i i heard about the pod fest this past year i know um our friend mark was went to it so i'm gonna have to join him uh next year oh you're uh, gonna have a blast yeah yeah it sounds like a great great experience what where do you see this going i mean you know you're talking about projecting and predicting the future what where does it end up in a couple years the event or the medium uh both 
<laughs> well, for the event, the event will keep growing. I do yeah. see it getting to a level. Possibly, I'll either be able to handle. Or I'll have to bring in really big corporate sponsors based on if I have to go to like the Orange County Convention Center. Mm. Uh, there's a level of there's a amount of money that at that point I'll have to figure out how much I could handle and how much I need to bring investment dollars. Yeah. Um, so that's going to keep growing for two reasons. We have the content, we have the community, we have all these little, like our event, even though it's podcasting, we're covering blogging. We're, if you're a business owner and you want to learn marketing, you come to our event. And I've spent years perfecting what we want in our presentations. And the feedback I always get is someone's like, I thought I was an advanced marketer. Then I attended your event. I had no clue about Spotify. Like I've been testing Spotify ads since they came out. Most people don't even know they exist. We right. used to test Facebook ads when they first came out for a penny a click and I couldn't spend the money because no one knew how to click on the ads yet. So like we're always <laughs> on the cutting edge of YouTube ads. We cover yeah, that. Yeah. So um, that's cool. If you want to learn marketing, I'd highly recommend just coming down. Um, and also for people that have brands and you want to be in front of influencers, I always tell people if 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I said to you, hey, everybody you're watching on TV and that you're seeing on radio or at least a good percentage are in a room, would you buy a ticket to go meet those people? The answer is absolutely yes. That's what PodFest and VidFest are. All the influencers are there. So um, that the event, I'll see that. My community, we're going to grow. Um, yeah. I, did, I, I did the slow play. Since I didn't care about money, I wasn't hungry to do any crazy thing. So I focused on my group intensely, and it kept doubling in size. Okay. Next year, we're going to double again. We're probably going to double again. So we're going to just keep growing, and the content creator is going to keep growing. Casey, I'll tell you one area I see huge growth for people. Let's say someone like yourself have a podcast. Sure. You could create what's called a network. You get 10 other podcasters together that represent a similar core audience. And then you could literally sell those uh, ears for a very premium ad dollar to a big company and everybody makes more money together. And that right. network is worth quite a bit of money. Yeah. The network, right. Of the, of the similar ears, people all listening to the same type of things. That's, that's yeah, and a, then there's psychographics. Like some guy took all the Star Trek podcasts. It didn't matter how many downloads they had. He took all 40 of them and he created <laughs> a network on that psychographic of people into Star Trek. So if you had 100 downloads and the big shows might have had 20, 30,000 downloads, he aggregated all of them, then sold them to the big sponsors that want Star Trek people, which there's tons of them because of all the Comic-Cons and all that. Totally. And then, and then you just, you know, you just go buy downloads. Great. The 100 downloaded show, you just, you just scale it down to it's just math after that. And he wow. took 20, 30% off the top. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Well, who, who are you? Like, did, did you, did you take us back to like little Chris days? Did you always know you're going to be in podcasts and in media and entrepreneur? Like what was it like growing up being you? So I, I, I grew up in a big fat Greek family in New York. My parents <laughs> had come from Greece and sure. I, in a Greek family, um, my cousins were more like my brothers and sisters. Like we're really tight knit. Okay. So yeah. we had a lot of cousins. We all went to the same kind of schooling, uh, high school and all that. Um, and I used to dream as a kid, I wanted to be a diner owner because in the Greek community, my uncles owned a diner. All the successful people had diners or restaurants and I would literally make little, um, cause I'm visual and, and I like to draw. I'd make little diners and I was like, I'm going to have, one diner for every state in the country or whatever, something like that. Nice. Um, so I was an entrepreneur and I, yeah. I sold candy in school when I was 12 or 13 years old. I learned about government regulation and competition 
because I almost got suspended for selling candy. Another kid's dad would drive him to the price club, so he had cheaper prices, but had more of a loyal audience, so they still paid a premium, even though he no was selling kidding. Candy. Yeah, so I learned about government regulation, <laughs> price competition, and loyalty all in one shot at 13 years old. Jeez. Um, and I just love business, and I love people, so I have a deep, profound love for uh, human beings, and that's kind of how I um, when in my late twenties, when I told you, I found my passion. Yeah. I literally did a thousand meetups over the next five years. So every day of the week I held a meetup in a different part of the Tampa Bay area. So four meetups a week for five years. So it's 200 a year. Um, and I would hold about internet marketing. So I would teach everybody how to do internet marketing and I would meet all these interesting characters. And I, I basically figured, uh, Dave Chappelle actually has came to the same conclusion. Life is all about experiences with people. So yeah. I've, I have a lot of experiences with thousands of amazing people. So it's given my life a lot of meaning and a lot of, um, you know, I get this all the time. Chris, you don't know my industry. It's very, it's SaaS or it's B2B. And right. I go try me. I've met a lot of people and they say their industry. And then I like, oh, you're blah, blah, blah. They're like, how do you know? Like, I've never had anyone that knows it. So I've met 5,000 people individually and I've talked to them um, over these years. So. I, I help people. And, and when you help people, you learn a lot about their industries. Doing four meetups a week, like that, that's even logistically to plan. That's a lot. Was that part of the sort of finding yourself thing? Yeah. It yeah. was right after. It was like, I just want to meet people and do good. My, um, I didn't share this, but a big part of my life was my father worked a lot and he wasn't mm. around. So my neighbor who was a New York city firefighter, he was like the big brother for the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, but not in the program. He just happened to be the guy that took care of the yeah. kids. So I would hang around and I would be glued to his hip and he'd give me the extra glove, baseball glove or whatever he had. I remember once he hit the, the pick four, like a lotto, uh, and he bought me a VCR. He knew we didn't have one. So he was very good to me. Yeah. And when I moved to Florida, he passed away from a massive heart attack. His, he was never the same after nine 11 digging out his friends oh, and sure, yeah. he went through a divorce. He went through a lot. Uh, but when I moved to Florida, he helped me move down. And then two months later, he died of massive heart attack. It put my life, that was part of the pivot point for me to be like, I love this man like a father. He's no longer right. here. He gave me all these memories and all these great times. How do I want to fill out my life? And then I created a bucket list of what I want to accomplish. And I pretty much done that. Now I'm a father. I have two beautiful daughters. Nice. Um, somewhere. So five years into those, doing those meetups, Casey, I, one day, like when you do those kind of meetups, you don't know what the, what holidays. So one day yeah. I planned it on a holiday that no one showed up. Right. So, or the day before someone's like, you know, tomorrow's a holiday. You got to cancel that meetup. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I canceled the meetup and I got home and it was five o'clock and everybody's out on the street. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like everybody's out in the street with these people don't work. And I realized like I hadn't been home in five years till sooner than 9 PM. So I realized like normal people get home at five o'clock and like, walk the dog or like talk to each other. Uh -huh. So I, I realized that I was a little out of balance. Yep. So when I had my first daughter, I sold that one business. I focused on the PodFest business. Yep. So now I get to do bath time with the girls every day. Yeah. I travel very little. I have one big event and it's, I know you understand like what I do because you're a podcaster, you understand the value, but most yeah. people feel bad for me when I tell them what I do. They're like, do you need money? Do you need help? And I kind of chuckle. Really? So I, yeah. Well, try and explain to someone you're a full-time promoter and they have no frame of reference. Oh, yeah, yeah. You say promoter. What does that mean? Dana White, maybe UFC. There's no frame of reference. Don King, if you're older. Yeah, but that cat's rich. <laughs> right. Well, if you could survive long enough, you do really right. well. But right. 
all I'm saying is I'm very lucky. So in the meantime, yeah. throughout the year, I do a lot of consulting to keep myself busy. We're doing virtual events now. So it's just been, I live a blessed life. I do what I love to do. It's highly risky. It's very difficult, but it's what I intentionally set out to do. And it gives my life meaning. So I have thought about selling my company and I thought about it. And I think about all these things. There's no reason for me right now to sell because I have nothing else that's better for me to help my fellow man. This is what I do best. Connecting okay. people and being, like you said, the podcasting airport for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you got to think these things through because what if someone offered me a, a crap ton of money? I took the money. I'd be miserable with money. Like, yeah. What's the point then? What do you do next? What, what sparks? Yeah, with money in the bank. Okay, big now. deal. Right yeah. now, I, I love what I do and I do well. And I'm going to do even better. But why would I sell something that this is what I, I intentionally set out to do what I do. I didn't fall into it by accident. It was right. intentionally from the beginning. And I love multimedia. I love technology. I love in 96, like 95, when AOL was sending everybody a hundred little startup disks, yeah. I would go to the computer. You'd hear the dial tone. And you know, if your mom or someone was using the phone, you're like, get off the phone. I'm trying get to get phone. online. And then you'd go online and I'd like go to Greece dot whatever to see like a, a, a static picture of, some town in Greece that my parents are like, I can't believe, I, go, I used to remember, I was like, I can't believe I'm in my house here in New York and I'm seeing where my parents grew up, you know, the picture. And I knew then I was like, this thing, whatever this is, it's going to change my life forever and everybody around me. So I've always been enthralled with um, technology. We have Google minis in my house. So my daughter's name is Sedona and my youngest daughter, Savannah. So the trick I always play with them is like, do you, you know, you're famous. I tell them, they go, how do you know? I go, Google knows you. I said, Google, tell Sedona about Sedona and then starts playing facts about Sedona, Arizona. And yeah. then I do the same for Savannah. It's just Savannah. fun. But we play trivia against Google. We ha I, Google will sing happy birthday if someone has a birthday in your house. Uh, so will Alexa. They'll have a whole happy birthday song. It's amazing. <sighs> Jeez. I know some people would be freaked out by the technology side of that, but it sounds like you're just embracing it. And There's nothing to do but embrace it. What are you going to do? Freak out? We're a collective unless you're like one of those characters that could do like naked and afraid and go up and somewhere and, <laughs> and off the grid, we're all connected. We're all part of the same. Look at the coronavirus. If that doesn't tell you how connected we are, we spread organisms amongst ourselves around the world and back in like a blink of an eye. So a couple of weeks. All, yeah. yeah. I mean, my, I remember my doctors, I've never seen anything spread this fast. We're all connected no matter what. So it's, um, it's, we live in interesting times. I'm big on understanding uh, so I'm not like um, a guy that could program or like, I'm like fascinated by like how human behavior and technology integrates. And my buddy, Steve Tangiris, who I love dearly, he's like, Chris, what people don't realize about these artificial intelligence voice activated devices is every day while we sleep, those things are getting smarter. Hmm. So what happens is Casey, if someone buys one of those things and it asks it something and they're like, ah, so stupid, didn't understand my question. I don't think it's ready. What they don't realize is that thing catalogs that question and it's already formulating answers a couple months from now to be ready. Just <laughs> like we started in 96 with dial. That's where we are with this stuff. But one day that thing is going to be as smart as Einstein. The next day it's going to be smarter than all of us put together. Right. And that's how technology works. So it's, uh, it's, it is scary. There is a scary part of it because we're getting now to the, to the artificial intelligence revolution Yeah. where it's programming itself. It, yeah. We saw the Facebook experiment. They even created their own language to communicate with each other. I heard about that. 
They so just shut it down because they didn't know what it was saying to each other. Yeah, and then they did a PR thing. Oh, it was just it was, the experiment wasn't what we want. I mean, it, it scared them, so they shut it down. So, do you think the message back and forth was like, "Hmm, let's take over"? <laughs> I'm still mad about MySpace. Let's take over Facebook, and they're like, "Shh, don't tell them." <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it's uh, it, it, so innovation is is yeah. everywhere. To right. sit there and put your head in the sand, and be like, "I don't want to participate." That's fine if you're if you're financially okay, and you could take your family off the grid if you need to, whatever. That's fine. But if you got to make a living and you got to be part of this world, like you got to you got to at least participate and figure out, you know, to make heads or tails with it. I, I'm not a, I, I love futurists, but they never tell you how to practically apply stuff. Yeah, like I'm practically applying Spotify ads. I'm figuring it out. Okay, so Google Mini. I'm talking to it every day. Like Google, what's going on here? I'll, I'll get the news from it. Um, I'll get something from it. So I'm just testing. And just, you got to be starting ugly with these things. So you could kind of yeah. figure out how to, how to best use it when, when it's time to use it. Makes total sense. Um, question for you, kind of hypothetical. I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, you know, can't use it now because of COVID, but this all sort of clears up. You come visit, come hang out in New Hampshire. Um, use my time machine. You go back in time, you talk to yourself. Like it could be, you, know, you just graduated school or it could be whenever, right? Early you, what kind of advice would you give yourself? What kind of things would you tell yourself? Uh, don't chase money. Okay. Value all your relationships. Understand that there is no hier hierarchy in life. Well, we're all equal. Um, but we all provide different values in the tapestry known as, you know, humanity and just appreciate everybody for the gifts that they bring. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean, there's no hierarchy. Like, like a lot like of people say the comment, like, be careful who you step on now. Cause they might be, what's that saying? Like they might be your boss or oh, yeah. the food chain. Be careful yeah. what you do now. You never know, you know, who that. Who, yeah, is. later. Yeah. That, that's assuming that there's a hierarchy. There is no such thing. Like when people say, uh, what's someone's net worth? They're saying that their worth is attached to a number. There's no such thing. It's their net accumulated money. They've accumulated money, but they're not worth a money because we're all like right now with coronavirus, people shut down the whole country because we valued life at an infinite price. If we valued life at a certain dollar amount, we would know when to open and shut the country. <laughs> we would. It the reason so why confusing. we don't know, the reason why we don't know is because we all value life. Um, and we're trying to figure out, you know, it's confusing, right? So right. like people have to understand, like, there's no such thing as like, people always say to me, oh, wow, you're so nice. And I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Why? Because I'm a promoter. Now I do have a lot of influence, but it doesn't mean I have to be mean about it or I have to pretend like there's, there's no such thing. Like I, I look at all of us as equals and we all contribute, you know, the janitor at night is contributing with the gifts that he has, just like yeah. I'm contributing with my gifts. And um, when I was a little kid, Casey, I, I don't, I didn't mention this to you, but I was born without a right ear. Like my ear was folded up. I forgot what the term is called. Oh, really? Um, and like I no had a flappy go, thing, or just not at all. Uh, it was like it was like it was like clothes, clothes kind of thing, like clothes, no canal, and just like an earlobe, like just a, an earlobe. Huh. So as a child, I had to have reconstructive surgery starting at six years old, and I would go in for all kinds of surgeries. Really? And when you're around kids, the kids were 
you know, um, all different colors, all different races um, from all over the world. Cause we would go to NYU medical center in New York city. So yeah. the plastic surgeon we had was world famous, Dr. McCarthy. And he would teach, I was like a, his subject. He would teach what he was doing with me to all these other people going through wow. NYU medical school. And there was another kid he was African-American. So the two of us were the case studies. And I just remember like, as a kid, I was like, wow, my, my mom met some lady from Greece and she needed my mom to help translate. And they would, they would ask me for help. That kid had cancer and it was somewhere in his urinary tract so he'd be screaming i just remember early on i'm like there's no such thing as like someone's better or less than or this guy has more money like when you're a kid and everybody's like dying around you or the kid you're uh -huh. playing uh nintendo duck hunt needs a stick because they're quadriplegic so they have to play with your with their mouth you realize like there's no such thing as this stuff and i i think i thank god or the heavens or whatever that i had that experience because i'd be a real cocky sob had I not, I'd be the kind of guy that's like, I don't get why people don't get it. Uh, I, I'd be one of those. People. I could see that. I could see. I know my that. personality because yeah. I'm really competent and highly accomplished. But when you see other kids and they're, they're, they don't, they might not live out a full life. And I remember my mom once telling me, she goes, um, they had done a surgery on my right ear and they wrapped my head. So it looked like to another person in the, the, they have a game room for the kids and it's a, it was an amazing game room. But my mom spoke uh, broken English. She didn't know English really well back then. She had just come to the country like five, six years sooner. So in Greek, she's telling me that poor lady thinks that you're worse off than her kid. She goes, well, she doesn't know. For you, it's like a plastic surgery for your ear. Her kid's got, I forgot what the kid had. But because my head was wrapped, the mom thought I had like a brain tumor or something. Right. And I just remember like, uh, it's a helpless feeling when your kid is sick. And I just remember oh, yeah. my mom and I, we were just grateful that like, yeah, minus plastic surgery, whatever. I don't have a canal. We'll try and open it up. Big freaking deal. But you got kids that they don't have the same. And we're all we're all from different walks of life. One kid's from the inner city. I'm an immigrant kid. Uh, I was born in New York. My parents are immigrants. So we're, we're in the suburbs of Long Island. Then you have a kid that was flown in from Greece because they needed to give him the best cares so he right. could survive. So when you realize that, I don't get nervous around big CEOs or whatever because they're just another human being and sure. that's the role they're filling. So that's how I look at the world. And if we look at it, it just, it, it, it becomes a kinder, gentler world when you look at people from that perspective. Man, it's powerful stuff. I'd say your, your ear looks good too, man. I can't tell. Oh, it's this one. That one? Yeah. It looks like an ear. <laughs> built over over six surgeries yeah painful for a kid to go through that stuff that's that's the worst i'm I'm parent too but you know we, we had like a scare where we thought there was a heart problem thankfully it's fine but they're like you should go to the er and like have a little baby and just do that it's like oh god it's the worst thing ever um so i can't imagine what those parents were all thinking you know and as a kid, you're like, this sucks, but at least I'm in the game room. But the parents are just like, ah. Yeah, the kids, you know, this kids don't have that awareness. They're, yeah. they're just happy to be kids. Right. And they want to play with their friends. And the poor parents are the ones that are really processing everything. I, I was happy it. to go game room. And I had all these friends. And we used to trade baseball cards. I remember I got my Ken Griffey Jr. card. I traded for, I don't know what it was. But it, it was, a for me, it was a fun time. Now, yeah. going back to school after having those surgeries was not fun for me because I'd get made fun of mercilessly because sure. my head would be swollen and my mom being an immigrant didn't believe in like, let me sit it out. So I'd have a major surgery two days later, I'm in school. So like, yeah. so that, that was not the best for me, but it, it also builds character. Oh, so it toughens I, you up, right? You got to learn how to deal with that shit. Well, you do, you, you deal with humanity and you understand that, you know, not everybody's kind all the time. They might not yeah. understand what you're going through and kids definitely don't process it. They have to be taught. 
So it, it, it's, uh, I'm very grateful for all of that. And I'm grateful that I had a very strong character and constitution to um, deal with it. But at the same time, you know, it, 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 it impacts you as a kid. That's for sure. For sure it does. Hey, I, I would be, hate to let you out of here without the gorilla, the gorilla marketing. <laughs> the story of the gorilla marketing? Yeah, tell me this gorilla marketing story. You're going to love this one. So uh, when we started that community group in Tampa that I was telling you about, yeah, I had bought, uh, I paid for two speakers. This was before I knew how to negotiate for speakers. So we're in the downturn of the 0809 crash and I'm paying book value for speakers. Now, if anyone doesn't know this, when they, when a speaker says, I don't know, I get 20 or 30,000, that's a suggested price. <laughs> I didn't know this at the time. I'm a kid, right? I'm like, great. Uh, where, do I cut the, where do I cut the check? I was like 29, 30, right? Okay. So I go, uh, I'm negotiating with uh, Brian, uh, Brian Tracy. And then the other guy was yeah. Jay Conrad Levinson, the author of Gorilla Marketing. Okay. Yep. So I don't know, whatever it was, it was like 13, 14,000. Now this guy had, at the time, I didn't realize this. He hadn't spoken for a couple of years. So I probably could have got him for like 10% of that. Right. So long story short. For a dinner and airfare. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, no, he lived, he lived in Orlando. He could just oh, okay. drive over. There was no, that was the, the kicker. So anyways, um, he flew in his whole family on my dime. I mean, they had like a, a reunion or something, but basically I cut the check. And at the time I had cut checks for Brian Tracy, all these characters. So I was out of money and I was like, okay, well, everybody knows who Jay Conrad Levinson is. He wrote the book, A Gorilla Marketing. So I send out an email. No one knows who this guy is, right? right. I, I'm a marketer. So I'm thinking everybody knows who he is because his book sold like 25, 30 million copies, right? Yeah. This is the guy that created the cowboy campaign for the Marlboro Man, uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Here's Die Hard Battery. Yeah. You look, I know a lot of people hold up Jay Abraham. This guy is like, uh, this guy was amazing. So anyways, and he looks like Montgomery Burns uh, from the Simpsons. So I, I, I go to my camera guy, I go, dude, we got no money to promote this guy. He goes, why don't we just do a guerrilla marketing style as a joke? And I'm like, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's go into the Barnes and Noble. I'll go take all the authors that everybody knows. I, like I'll get like a Warren Buffett book, a Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. I'll get uh, John Maxwell. And then those guys all had like their books, but guerrilla marketing, when you look at it, there's like 10 different versions and literally they've outsold all those books. So I go into the, literally, it's a little camera. At the time, we had a little Sony camera. Um, we, I run into Barnes & Noble. I'm like, guys, I got G. Conrad Levinson. He's coming to, to, to Tampa to teach us guerrilla marketing. I go, but if you don't know who he is, here's Warren Buffett. Here's blah, blah, blah. And I, I stack up all the people that they know. So I create who they know. And then I, I stack up his books. And literally, two, three times higher. And I go, this guy's outsold all of these people. And then I just drop the books. Then one of the workers at Barnes and Noble turns the corner, starts chasing me out the bookstore and I'm running for dear life. And that's the end of the clip. It's like, come on out, come on, see him. We filled up the room with guerrilla marketing tactics for yes. the author of guerrilla marketing. <laughs> epic, we had to. Yeah. So we filled up the room with a hundred people and it was amazing. And he gave uh, Casey, I got to find if, if I could find it, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. That guy gave a PhD lecture on guerrilla marketing like i've never seen before and he did really? something that i found really interesting he knew how he processed his learning every night because we would go to the hotel late at night to go see if he was okay at 10 p.m till midnight he would walk at night by himself and he'd think about ideas marketing ideas every night this guy when this guy spoke there wasn't a wasted word in his presentation i brought him in again but the next time i brought him in for like a lot less but it was <laughs> yeah. uh, it was one of the best marketing lectures still to this day I've ever seen. He's passed since, right. but it was an amazing 
passing of the torch and him teaching what he knew. So it was really awesome. Man. And so he was thinking about his thinking. He was contemplating what he was going to say and just w- walking around. I, I just think as a habit, when he got out of, uh, as a, he was, he's probably one of the most storied marketers of our generation. When he kind of retired and he became a lecturer and he, cause remember his books, um, he wrote the white paper for Microsoft, Bill Gates. And I think Steve jobs took a class of his in Stanford or something. So he okay. was very, this guy is very historic in, in his thinking of marketing guerrilla style at right. night. He would literally think about these concepts or whatever it was every night. And that's how he kept his brain nimble. It was almost like, you know, people say you got to exercise. Yeah. He exercised his mind every night. Huh? I, I could see like following him around to make sure he didn't like walk into the street or something as he's like, actually he would, yes, he, he would lose sight of where he was. Cause he almost ran into me inside the <laughs> lobby, but he wasn't even looking at me. He was, his mind was elsewhere. He was thinking, thinking about it, all that stuff, man, that's crazy. Yeah. You got stories, man. You, you're, you're doing things. You're all sorts of interesting stuff. Going I, that's on. what I've done. I've collected stories. Uh, they asked Dave Chappelle. Uh, Dave Chappelle is, he, he said he wanted to always be a griot. A griot is an uh, African tribal tale. They would tell the stories orally and the griot would pass one generation to the other. And uh, when David Chappelle heard that from his mom, that's all he ever wanted to do. So in comedy, he has this unique place where he is, has made sure he's not beholden to anybody. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so he could say whatever he wants and it's a freedom that he, him and maybe, I don't know what other comedians have that kind of freedom where he's created, but you remember he intentionally set out to create what he wants and he has yeah. that. And he is now someone that owes nothing to nobody. And he goes around town. If he wants to create a, um, I had friends of mine in Fort Myers, they do, they own the valet parking stuff. And they said that he had the restaurant and they left it open just for him and his friends till 3 a.m. And he was just enjoying life when he's out on tour, he's going to enjoy that experience. So that's awesome. Uh, he's an amazing case study of, intentionally living out your life the way you want to and not the way other people expect you to. And that's a big distinction. And I bet there's, there's so much more to it behind the scenes than, you know, catching the Chappelle show or, you know, just the normal fun comedy. So I think the first glimmer a lot of people had when one of his recent comedy specials, he just like, he just told it how he saw it and people, you know, some people were angered and some people were like, hooray. But to your point, he just, he just said what he wanted to say. Yeah, Kevin Harden um, was on Joe Rogan's show and he was saying how him and Chris Rock were talking about it and the two of them couldn't do it. They had too many people that they're connected to, like Kevin Hart sponsored by Nike and all these big brands, whereas Dave doesn't have any of that. And he was yeah. able, he was the only one in the stature and also with the, the balls big enough to just <laughs> say it like it is. And he told, I remember the opening joke was something like, you know who's ruining everything? And he says, you guys, the the people in this, like he went after like, the, the the audience themselves yeah the, the the people that you know will complain after and say oh he didn't like this group or that group and he just he basically pre-framed it in his comedy and then went into the most controversial topic <laughs> so he knew when it would go out on netflix that he already he already said his piece so then everybody else had his back so it's very i mean you want to talk about genius level thinking it's just amazing yeah man Man, you can learn so many things from from people and just seeing what they do and how they do it. I mean, even you and how you're experiencing things, how you're being intentional. Um, And I could totally see it's a totally different conversation with you because of the history you've had and the humility and the being an intentionality or whatever you'd call it. 
you're, you're totally present. You're thinking about things. You're, you're working on you. You're doing what you love as opposed to that other guy you could have been, um, you know, had these the journey turned out differently. It's crazy. I was always angry when I didn't hit my monetary goals and, you know, we're part of EO and I'll spot that. There's people now that you'll see there in their fifties. Oh, I'm going to make this much money and I'm going to do all they focus on the money and half the times their family life is broken. It's like, that's not the life I want to live, man. I want to, yeah. I want to make money. Don't get me wrong. I think sure. that's, but I want to create value that fulfills me and the money comes from that value. And then I want to love up on my family and I want my daughters to grow up and, that's my priority right now. I want them to, um, I don't want to put any other pressure on them, them to discover what it is that they want to do yeah. and for them to hit their personal best, whatever that is. Yeah. So that's kind of like my journey. My wife's really good at intentionality and rethinking how we do things. And it's amazing how we're, we have all these defaults that we don't really realize. So you have to really question, why did I do that? Why did I say that? <laughs> or, um, uh, around everything. Yeah, the knee-jerk reactions too. You know, you're like, oh, uh, hold on a second. What? I'm, or I'm thinking this. Or I'm really pissed. Or I'm really happy or sad about this. Um, why? You know, it's indicating something's going on that you should probably work on. Yeah, she did something really interesting. My wife had some challenges around food growing up, and uh, she took a course. She had uh, someone she was helping, and they basically said that as parents, a lot of times we're like, oh, the dessert comes last, or you can't have this much dessert, and around sugar and all this stuff. And what we do, and this is an interesting thing she did. So for our daughter, Sedona, if she wants to eat dessert first, we'll let her eat dessert first. What happens is dessert doesn't become a special food. Therefore, there's no, like, I got to have it because we were conditioned as kids, like, oh my God, dessert, you got to have it. So you got to have totally. more sugar. So uh, now the little one, if they want something, we'll give it to them. But now uh, after a year of this like experiment, <laughs> dessert's not a big deal. Even though they do have their snacks, they'll eat dinner. And then if they want dessert, we don't make it into something that's positive or negative. And it's an interesting experience with food. And my wife's very conscious of it because she had her own, you know, things yeah. with uh, food growing up that she doesn't want to repeat with the, the girls. So it's, um, it's uh, the friend of hers that really challenged that thought paradigm. It was really interesting. It's interesting um, to, cha to challenge those, those beliefs like that. How, I mean, how's that working? Because I couldn't imagine giving kids cake and Oreos for dinner every night that's it's almost like the thinking of like that's all they're gonna eat actually what happens is it just destigmatizes them wanting it all the time so okay. they don't care as much yeah so, because now when they're young we're not making it like oh my god snacks so they eat their dinner and if they want to have dessert at the same time they can we just make sure hey let's put the dinner in front of you so it's not a big deal so we don't have a big run on um on snack food or whatever you want junk food because there's not a huge value, like it's special. Right, like it's something, something special, you want more of it, yes. Yeah, So yeah, it's, yeah. I, At first I was like, oh, let's see how this goes. But I mean, it's proven to be successful. Kind of like the, the wine thing with kids in France and whatnot. Like if you just yeah. go around it, you're like, whatever. It's not like a, ooh, let me sneak some beer out back kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I've, um, you know, I always like joke with the kids, like here, you want some beer? Um, and they're like, oh, gross, it smells horrible. And like, and there's, there's no like, Ooh, let's sneak this thing. Like dad's, right. dad's been trying to give it to us for years. Not really people don't freak out. Don't call the child services on me. But like the whole idea of like, um, you know, just not, I guess I'm doing that anyways with alcohol. Cause I don't want them to be thinking that it was something cool, the extra above it, beyond it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, these things, I have a million of them, but <laughs> 
it's it's interesting to think about things and like i always tell people like parents that are dysfunctional actually have probably turned out some of the most amazing individuals because those extreme circumstances person might not be balanced but that unbalanced creates some amazing things oh for sure and then i think a lot of kids have been screwed up by parents that are very loving and then in that love steer the kids into certain paths so i've seen kids that became certain professions because of the love of their parents steering them into those professions. So I think just as much damage is done there too. So it's oh, just funny sure. to think about these, uh, like what you said, these, these conventional unconventional things. I'm not, listen, the, the, the key is to find some kind of balance in between the two <laughs> I know. The kid to develop, but you see these things play out. Hey, you do the best you can, but any kind of thing you can think of and prove, be right though. Like the one thing you'd said, like, is just helping them find their thing. That's what I want. I, you know, I, I don't need you to become a Marine. I don't need you to go into marketing. I don't give a shit. As long as you're happy and you can at least take care of yourself. But like, you know, find that thing, experiment, whatever. Um, not, you know, spend years going to law school, find out you hate law and you just did it because your parents wanted you to. Yeah, go That's volunteer, horrible. go go work yeah. uh, summer intern jobs. My um, my favorite case study of that was Sarah Blakely of Spanx. She grew up here in the Tampa Bay area. Oh, yeah, this, yeah, but, yeah. The famous story is her father would say, what did you fail at today? Or what did you try today? Huh. So he would have her try something new every day. So now you have a kid that is not afraid of trying things and seeing how they work out. And I think that's a cool experiment to play out with your kids where you, you almost let them start ugly on things and celebrate it every time. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you fail at today? I'm going to try that because I think some of the things that when I see in kids and I, and I really want to correct it is when, um, they get disappointed when it doesn't work right away. It's like, how I really want them to have that persistence or like, oh, it's okay, you failed, fine. But like, go again, don't freak out. Don't have a temper tantrum. Like, pick yourself up, dust yeah, yourself Yeah, what off. did you try and how did you like it? You know, yeah. something like that and uh, celebrate if it didn't work out and, and laugh about it. And I think her dad did that at the dinner table and that set the tone for her life, being a really great salesperson yeah. and then later building Spinx. Right, right. Dealing you know, you with rejection. Right. You know, you mentioned the food thing. It reminded me, my dad had told me a story of working at a ice cream shop and um, as like a kid and they're like, Hey, you can have as much ice cream as you want because you work here. <laughs> I'm sure and you didn't eat much. He was like, really? And like, you know, the kids had told, you know, the other workers had told him that he didn't believe them, but the owner was like, yeah, no, no. Anytime you want ice cream, anytime at all, you can have as much ice cream as you want. Go for it. Here's how to do it. The scoops. And it took about four days and he, and he like, still hates ice cream that's a smart owner yeah after yeah. a while you don't want any more no you don't want it at all you're like, oh i can't even stand the, the <laughs> look of it the taste of it the smell of it which might make it hard to scoop it all the time but you don't have to worry about it after four days <laughs> well hey man where can people connect with you what are some good links you know social sites where can they reach out so uh, yeah just any of the social sites at chris kremitzos and if you can't find that go to chris uh, Google will respell my name and uh, podfestexpo.com is the site for the podcasting conference or vidfest expo for anyone looking to get into YouTube, any of those. And then the book start ugly is up on Amazon. I would recommend buying the physical book only because it's a richer experience yeah. than the Kindle. And, I, and I'm saying that cause I've, we've tested it out just having the book and the, the way the cover is designed. It's meant to stay somewhere in your office around where you work to remind you to start ugly and get started. Yeah. I love that. Totally. I mean, you need that kind of experience, especially when it's a story like this where you can, you can read from it. Um, definitely get the physical book. Uh, the podcast next year, it, um, next year, when's the yep. next one? And what do you think? It, it'll be, it'll be May, 2021. Yep. 
Okay. So stay tuned, hit the website. Stay, stay tuned. Yeah. Hit the website. We're still on the planning. And a lot of people say, Oh, you're going to have an event next year. Uh, this is the way I explain it to them. If I'm not having an event next year, all of us are going to have a much bigger problem than my event. True. It's a good point. Here, here's my vote for having an event next year. <laughs> well, it's in May too. It'll give us time, but if things Plenty. don't, yeah get sure. out by then it's we you know we'll have to adjust different things right right well chris man thank you so much for coming on here thank i just you, had a Casey. blast hanging out and all that good stuff that was awesome thank you so much you know and for those listening if you learned something and i freaking know you did because i literally have two pages of notes over here <laughs> front and back ran out of space then share this with someone else be a thought leader but don't just share it like put put your thoughts on it like what did you, what was the takeaway you got from chris from the podcast conversation the different styles starting ugly i mean there's all these little nuggets and we literally had like a session with a buddhist monk here it was fantastic so chris thanks again man and, and take care we'll have to catch up with you and and uh i'll see you at podfest all right casey thanks brother all right for everyone listening this has been the hardcore marketing show catch y'all next time